um, we are going to continue in the book of Jonah. We're actually in Jonah chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got your phone apps, I want you to open to the book of Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have Bibles or phone apps, it'll be up on the screen for you. We're reading from the NIV this morning because um, there's a few words in there that I really want you to hear. <coughs> I'm going to pick up my massive Bible and hopefully this doesn't fall. All right. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. I don't know if you remember if you've been with us the past few weeks, but um, the first week we saw God call Jonah to um, preach a message to Nineveh, and instead Jonah went the opposite direction. And then last week Kevin talked about how Jonah ended up in the belly of the sea creature who um, vomited out vomited Jonah out, which is actually kind of funny, like God's sense of humor there, because Jonah deserved to be vomited out, honestly. And that's where we're at here, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I want you to underline that or circle it or note it or just remember it. We're going to come back to that word overthrown in a little bit. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how he turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In some churches, we say the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. We don't usually do that here at Renewal, but I thought it might be fun this morning. The word of the Lord. There you go. All right. Um, so I went on an internet deep dive this week looking for the inventor of the funhouse mirror. Um, and I ended up wasting like an hour of my life. You know how that happens? And um, do you know what funhouse mirrors are? They're those mirrors that are like concave or convex and they sort of distort your image so either you're really tall and thin or you're really short and fat. Well, um, I found out that funhouse mirrors are invented by an American guy named Charles Richtel. He also invented the roller skates. Yeah, a little piece of information for you. And he invented the dirigible. Do you know what a dirigible is? I had to look that up too. Yeah, it's like an early form of a blimp, okay? So the guy liked fun, apparently. <clears throat> None of that matters. The only thing that matters is the fun house mirror, okay? Because we look at fun house mirrors and they distort our reflections. They give us kind of an exaggerated reflection of ourselves. And ultimately, that's what the book of Jonah is. We're supposed to read the book of Jonah, and we're supposed to see almost the worst version of ourselves in Jonah and do some self-examination. 
Like we're supposed to look at Jonah's just sinfulness and stubbornness and find ourselves here and do some business between us and God about our attitudes towards other people and our attitudes towards God. But we also learn some amazing things about the nature of God here in the book of Jonah. So what I thought we'd do is we would just break down a few of the verses together bit by bit. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to keep them open, okay? If you've got those phone apps, I want you to keep them open. We're going to look at verse 1 for just a minute. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Say a second time. Those are some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture. A second time, right? That's a gospel right there that we have a God of second chances, that God's word came to Jonah again, right? Here's this foolish guy, laughable in his selfishness, just like we are, though we run from him. God continually pursues us and pursues us and pursues us. This is a God of second chances, right? I almost brought an Etch-A-Sketch this morning to show you like that, you know, slate wiped clean because that's what's happening here in Jonah. God could have been wrathful towards Jonah, right? Like Jonah deserved it. God could have said, all right, I'm done. Like you had your chance. It's over now. I'm sorry. And God could have really just like washed his hands of Jonah, but he didn't. I think sometimes when we think about God's attitude towards our sin and God's wrath towards sin, that we think it's somehow opposed to God's love, as if God's hatred of sin, and God hates sin, okay? But we think that somehow God's hatred of sin is in contrast to God's love and mercy, as if God is somehow conflicted in himself, as if God is a God of mixed emotions, but that's not God. God is one. God is not conflicted. God is not like us, where we, you know feel certain things one day, and then the other day we feel other things. That's not God. God's love for us and God's wrath, his anger at sin, are just inextricably connected with one another. God hates sin because he cares about us, right? God does not want us living in our self-destruction. God does not want us in the imprisonment of our own sin, God does not want us to destroy ourselves and our families and our communities because of our sin. God does not want us to end up without him in eternity. God does not want us to live under the weight of our own self-destruction because he's jealous for us. God is not willing to let you continue in the muck and the mire of your sin because he loves you so much. God's wrath is like that of a parent who's looking at their child saying, I want so much more for you. You don't even know what I want for you. I want so much more for you, my daughter, my son. And that's why I'm angry about this sin. Because I know that there is so much more for your life. God wanted more for Jonah. God wanted more for the Ninevites. God wants more for us. And that's why in spite of our failings and our stubbornness and our often just like ignorance of him, God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances because he is such a good God. God may be inviting you to start over today. All right, the slate is clean in Jesus and you can. All right, verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Say Nineveh. 
Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. We know from chapter four, which we'll talk about next week, Jonah hated the Ninevites, but Jonah wasn't alone. The Ninevites were great enemies of the Israelite people. They were murderous, they were wicked, they were idolaters, they were just like this evil, corrupt empire, and so they were really evil. But really, the problem is not just Jonah's heart towards the Ninevites, although that's certainly part of it. The problem is that Jonah resented God for wanting to show them compassion. And again, this is another like funhouse mirror moment where we have to look at our own reflections and we have to say, okay, who is it that God is showing love and compassion and mercy to that we really don't want him to? Or who is it that God is actually calling us to show love and compassion and mercy to and we really don't want to? Like, who is that person, right, that you watch them make mistake after mistake after mistake and they're destroying their lives and they're destroying other people's lives and you're like, God, I can't even deal with this anymore. God is saying, no, 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 love them. You can't give up. Love them. Like, who is that person in your life that God is calling you to and you're like, I'm done. No, I I don't want to keep loving them. I don't want to keep pursuing them. I don't want to keep forgiving them. God is saying, keep doing it. We want to put people in categories, sort of, or like contain them, and we want to say, well, I've said all the things I can say. I've loved them in all the ways I can. I've sent them all the text messages. I've, I've done everything I can do, so I'm done now. But God says, no, 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 you're not done. Go after my sheep. Go after the ones I love. Keep pursuing them because I have pursued you when you didn't deserve it. So keep going. It doesn't mean you have to be their best friend, right? It doesn't mean you even have to like what they're doing. It's not like Jonah or God liked what Jonah was doing or liked what the Ninevites were doing, but God pursued them anyway. God is calling us to pursue those people, those difficult people anyway. Love them. Maybe it's a people group, maybe it's someone who wronged you, maybe it's a family member who keeps attacking you. The book of Jonah is saying, reflect on yourself. Who are the hard people in your life that God is saying, extend mercy, extend love, even when they don't deserve it? Do it any way. There's this Elizabeth Elliot quote about marriage. She says that a happy marriage is two people who commit to forgiving each other every single day for the rest of their lives. And those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about, right? Even if you're not married, that's what it takes for a meaningful relationship, right? Forgiveness again and again and again and again. When Kevin and I were um, going to get married, we were in premarital counseling. And typically when you're about to get married, you can take a test that kind of tells you about your personalities and your family of origins and what issues you might come against when you get married. And so Kevin and I took this test, and I'll never forget, we sat down with our marriage counselor, and she said, uh, well, I'm going to show you guys the results of your test. And I really want you to think through this. She turns the piece of paper over, and Kevin and I were literally on every front opposites. And if you know us, you know that's really true. I mean, where he was up here, I was down here. We'd cross each other on the chart. Like, we are not compatible on paper at all, okay? (laughs) And um, the funny thing is, is that even our reactions to that test were opposite. Kevin was like, Who cares? You know, a piece of paper can't show us if we can be married or not. (laughs) That was a good Kevin impression. 
But I was devastated. Like, I was like, I don't think we should get married. And what does this mean? And, you know, here we are almost 19 years later, and the Lord has been good to us. No, clap for that. (laughs) But I'll never forget this woman said to us, hey, there are going to be times in your relationship where you're going to like, ooh, and it's going to be hard to forgive each other. And when that happens, you have to go back to Jesus' unending pool of forgiveness. And you have to say, Jesus, fill me up so that I can forgive this person. These people that God call us to love and have compassion and have forgiveness for, it's not easy. And ultimately, we cannot do it in our own strength and power. And so this is when we say, Holy Spirit, fill me with the same love that you've shown me in Jesus, fill me with that so that I can love other people. And he will. He's faithful to do that. All right, let's keep going. Verse uh, 3. Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. Let's just applaud Jonah. He obeyed the word of God. Yep. Good job, Jonah. But this is funny, okay? Get ready. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days, say three days, days. took three days to go through. Verse four, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. That should make you laugh, okay? Because Jonah's supposed to tour around Nineveh for three days, preaching the word word from God, and the guy goes into the city one day, okay? Jonah is the most reluctant prophet of all time. Jonah's like, my kids... My kids are in here. I asked if I could share something about them. They said yes. When my kids were little, we'd ask them to share their toys. And they would, like, look around, and they'd find, like, a stick, you know, or a leaf. And they'd be like, here, I'll share this, you know. Or we have our kids go through at Christmas time, and they have to um, get rid of, you know, we have 8,000 toys, right? So get rid of some of the toys. We're going to donate the good ones before more Christmas presents come in, and they're really good about this now, but when they were little, I'll never forget one of my kids like, Mom, I just can't find anything. I found this Target sticker I can give away. You know those free stickers from Target that are, it was that. Like, you guys, this is Jonah, right? He has such a scarcity mentality. Like, the guy says yes to God, but it's so half-hearted. And then the, the message that he gives, it's an eight-word sermon. It's actually five words in Hebrew. He says, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> he doesn't mention God. He doesn't say, you know, the God of my ancestors sent me here. This is all he says. He, he like, it's so pathetic, this attempt that he makes. Here's a little background for you. Jonah's mentioned one other time in scripture. He actually prophesies over this king named uh, Jeroboam II, one of the worst kings in Israel's history. And Jonah prophesies that he will have favor and he'll win um, battles and he'll claim territory. And then God actually sends another prophet, Amos, to reverse Jonah's prophecy. And so by the time we get to the book of Jonah, we should already be a little suspicious about this guy's character, right? Like he's just not the prime example of a prophet of God. But here's the crazy thing. God uses Jonah's pathetic little effort to spark what is probably the most powerful revival that has ever been recorded in history. Isn't that an incredible thought? God is so faithful. 
takes our little, even half-hearted obediences and uses them in such mighty ways for his kingdom. Earlier, I told you to remember or underline the word overthrown. This word is actually another little satirical, comedic moment in the book of Jonah. It's a word that means obviously thrown over or overturned. It's actually a word that can mean destroyed or it can mean transformed. So Jonah goes to the Ninevites and he says, you're going to be overthrown. And Jonah thinks this is a message of destruction. This is actually a message of transformation from God. Jonah subverts his own message without even realizing it. I love this moment because it's a shadow of Joseph's story in Genesis here, right? Where Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. What Jonah intended for destruction, God intended for transformation. Again, what a good God we have who just turns everything upside down. Even our half-hearted obediences, he uses in such incredible ways. Church, you have no idea what your little daily incremental yeses to God mean for eternity. You have no idea what that daily obedience, how God will multiply that for his kingdom to transform not only your heart, but the world around you. So obey him because it matters. Even if you don't do it perfectly, right? Even if we do it like Jonah does it, our obedience to God matters in his hands. He does amazing things with our yeses. I want to say this too. It's kind of on the side here, but you know, the, the place where the enemy says to you, uh, you know, you're not worthy, or you're not good enough, or you're not um, educated enough, or you deal with too much anxiety, or there's too much stuff in your past. Like, those places where the enemy really attacks you again and again and again and reminds you of stuff and keeps, like, you know, replays the stuff in your past, that right there, that's the place where God wants to do the most redemptive work in you and through you. Think about Jonah for a second. This is a stubborn, rebellious prophet. God used him and specifically him to minister to a stubborn, rebellious people. Right? God could have used a humble prophet like Ezekiel. God could have used an upright prophet like Isaiah. But God uses Jonah, this sinful guy, just like every single one of us, in a very specific way for a very specific people because nothing is wasted with God. When we say yes to him, God uses us exactly how he's created us to minister from our character, from our story, from our personality type specifically to the people that he's called us to. When we say yes to him, God does that. He chooses us on purpose. That lie that the enemy is speaking over you. Whatever it is, you love the wrong things. You, you'll never be able to do incredible things for God. You'll never be able to live the life that God has for you. God is speaking a better word over you. Like he spoke over Jonah, like he spoke over the Ninevites. You're chosen. He wants to transform you. He wants to use you. You are his son. You are his daughter. Say yes to him, and he will do mighty things through you. Imagine if Jonah was like, oh, I just obeyed before, so now I just can't do anything for God. No. Jonah said yes, even a pathetic yes, and God used it. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> Verses 5 and 6. 
The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And what we find out is that God saw how they turned from their sin, and God was compassionate towards them, from the king to the cows. The whole city repented. It's amazing. And again, we can't read Jonah without looking at our own hearts and examining our own hearts. God loves our repentance. God loves our humility. And where is that area that God is calling you to repent? Where is that thing in your life that you're not trusting him with? What is that, I don't know, addiction or that inappropriate relationship or that area where you're not trusting him, where God is saying, let it go and come back to me. Humble yourself because I want to transform you. I want to overthrow you. Repent and come back to me. Think about Jonah for a second. We started the book of Jonah. We watched Jonah say no to God, and then he goes down to the port of Joppa, and then he goes down to the bottom of the ship where he falls asleep. Then he goes down to the bottom of the ocean. We're just tracing Jonah's like descent down into just despair, right? And then we see the Ninevites, the most wicked people that ever walked the face of the earth, and we see God pursue both of them. Right? Both the Jonas who are down so deep and the Ninevites who don't even know God, both of them are called to repentance and transformation. God pursues us. There's no darkness like that song said that he won't light up for us. There's no mountain he won't climb for us. And that's the beauty of the Lord. No matter how low you are, right, or no matter how many mistakes you've made, God wants you. Because he loves you. If you need prayer for anything today, by the way, we've got a prayer team over here at the end of the service. And um, I don't know, if you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing some stuff that the Lord needs to deal with, the prayer team wants to pray for you. If you've never known the love of Jesus, the prayer team wants to pray for you. If there's the person in your life that you're like, oh, I know I'm supposed to love them, but I don't want to, the prayer team wants to pray for you, okay? So that you can be filled in order to obey God because of his goodness. All right, we're going to um, move into communion. I want to just point out one more thing. In the New Testament, we read a really similar story about Jesus. It's really similar to the story of Jonah. Where Jonah, in chapter 1, gets on a boat, he falls asleep, the storm rages, the sailors are scared. Ultimately, Jonah is thrown overboard. In the New Testament, we see Jesus in a boat, asleep, the storm range, rages, the disciples are scared. Where Jonah succumbed to the raging sea, Jesus spoke authority and dominion over it. Where God called Jonah to the Ninevites to die to himself and go to them, Jonah said no, but he did so reluctantly. Jesus didn't hesitate to make himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant made in human likeness, he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He rescued us without hesitation. And where Jonah should have toured that city for three days, but he only went one. We know that Jesus, our Lord, spent three days buried and then rose again, conquering death and sin for us. Where Jonah was imperfect, Jesus was perfect. 
And so when we look at our imperfect reflection in that mirror, when we come to Christ, it is transformed and we look like Jesus, our perfect Savior. He's so good to transform even the ugliest parts of us and to use even the ugliest parts of it powerfully for his kingdom. Let's pray and then we're going to take communion together. God, we thank you that you pursue us and you call us to pursue other people. And that even our almost ridiculous attempts at following you, still, God, you use in just mighty, powerful ways. Thank you, God, that no matter how low we've gone, you find us. Thank you that no matter how wicked we've been, you rescue us and save us. God, if there are people that we need to love better, help us. God, we can't do it on our own. And if we just need to experience your love more, if we need to hear the better word that you're speaking over us, God, would you speak over your people now? In your name we pray, amen.